This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. Welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Before we begin today, I want to thank some of the people who have recently left reviews on Apple Podcasts. I do not know their names, but just their usernames as they appear in the reviews. C. Norl, I don't know how to pronounce this, but C N O R L L E, Anam Kara 31, P A underscore Sydney, Love from US. Thank you so much for writing encouraging reviews for me. I also got a one star review by someone with the username Sanctified. I want to thank you as well for letting me know how I can improve to provide better quality information to you. I hope more of you can leave me a review so that I know what I'm doing well and where I can improve. Today, I'm very excited to welcome a very special guest, Dr. Elizabeth Wasnar. She is a board-certified physician in pediatrics, pediatric and adolescent psychiatry, adult psychiatry, obesity medicine, and top of that, she is a certified eating disorder specialist. She is the regional medical director for Mountain Region for Eating Recovery Center and Pathlight Behavioral Health. As you would have probably guessed from her introduction, we will be talking about some of the eating disorders today, specifically bulimia and anorexia. Hi, Dr. Vasanar. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is phenomenal. So, you know, let's just start by talking about these terms, anorexia and bulimia. These are thrown around very loosely these days. Uh, what exactly is bulimia and what exactly is anorexia? So bulimia nervosa and anorexia nervosa are both DSM-5 diagnosable eating disorders. Bulimia nervosa is an eating disorder that's characterized by a pattern of behaviors where one purges in an effort to control their weight. And the other parts of eating disorders are that there is a significant preoccupation with weight and size, an assumption that one's value really rests in your physical appearance. Anorexia nervosa is an eating disorder that's characterized by restrictive behavior and can also include purging behavior. Um, and that can look like vomiting, diuretics, laxatives, exercise, etc. But both of these eating disorders have at their core a sense that one needs to decrease their weight to be an acceptable person and to be in relationships. I see. And, you know, interestingly, when I've read about anorexia nervosa, it sometimes comes up as a body image issue or a body image disorder. So how would you characterize it? Was it an eating disorder or is it a body image disorder? So those two things are really, they're very much linked. So body image disorder or a disorder in the one way one perceives one's body is really at the core of many eating disorders related to size and shape. So people with eating disorders very often have almost delusional level perceptions of their body size and shape in that they think that they are larger than they actually are, or they have physical deformities that they don't actually have. People with anorexia specifically are characterized by the idea that they weigh a lot more than they do when they are actually malnourished or underweight. And so part of the eating disorder is the body image distortion. And also because these disorders impact one's ability to get adequate nutrition, that's the eating disorder part of it. So that's like the eating part of the eating disorder. 
Got it. Got it. And how do these diseases manifest or how would people recognize that either they or their loved ones are actually suffering from these diseases? So eating disorders can be incredibly tricky to identify. And it is something that I am very passionate about making sure that people, especially medical professionals, have more education around being able to identify and adequately address eating disorders. Because eating disorders are actually some of the most deadly mental illnesses that we have. Anorexia nervosa has an extraordinarily high mortality rate from both suicide and medical complications. So I think the thing to remember is that eating disorders can present at any phase of life and in any size of body, male or female, can be something that is very under the radar, can be really hard to identify. The idea that most eating disorders present in people like young women is not necessarily true, but certainly young people have a vulnerability for eating disorders. So what you want to recognize as a parent or a loved one or a provider of somebody with an eating disorder is if they have unusual changes in body size or shape or unusual eating habits, if they become preoccupied with their body size or shape. Oftentimes, because of the amount of distress associated with eating disorders, people with eating disorders will withdraw from things that are important to them. So they'll withdraw from relationships. They might not be doing as well at school or work. They might decide not to go out to dinner with their family, things like that. So you might start to notice some of these subtle signs. You may notice, especially if people who have a purging eating disorder, they may be disappearing after meals or spending a large amount of time in the bathroom. So those are things just to kind of be aware of as you start to have suspicions that somebody might have a disordered eating pattern. I see. And I think the other thing to recognize with bulimia, especially, is because of the purging, they can have more caries in their teeth and they can have problems because of the acid that comes out from the stomach when they do vomit. That can definitely cause deterioration of the teeth themselves. That's right. Yeah, there can be definitely physical signs, especially when there's a purging disorder because of the act of of vomiting. And it really can wreak quite a bit of havoc on the body. So noticing that someone has a breakdown of area around their lips or has abrasions on their hands or has more dental problems, has really bad reflux, those sorts of things can go along with purging disorders. Right. And what ages do they begin at usually or what is the youngest age that they are actually recognized at? Oh, that's a really good question. So, you know, in my line of work, which is to specialize in eating disorders, I see the breadth of things. And so I have seen very young children with eating disorders, with weight-driven, thinness-driven eating disorders, even down to ages like six and seven years old. Typically, we say that eating disorders tend to present, you know, between nine and 13 is about kind of the the lower limit. Before that, sometimes we worry about a a different kind of eating disorder called avoidant restrictive food feeding and intake disorder, ARFID, which is kind of like a failure to thrive sort of situation for younger kids or picky eating, et cetera. But the weight-driven eating disorders typically present as early as like early childhood. Wow. I mean, that's so important to know, especially for parents, if they see these things, they should seek help early. Are these lifelong though? Yeah, that is exactly right. We really, really encourage parents to seek help early as soon as they notice something is off with eating or with nutritional intake or or weight, because the earlier someone gets treatment for an eating disorder, the more likely it is they are to respond to treatment. Eating disorders are an interesting sort of thing in that for some people, they can have sort of an episode of them, they can get treatment, they can get help, and they can go back to their life. 
other people have more significant illness. And this is sort of the thing that happens with all mental illnesses, right? Is that some people um, are able to sort of have an episode where they can get treatment and recover and other people are not. Eating disorders are similar. So some people recover quickly and are able to go back to their lives and other people struggle throughout their lives. Some people as well will have an eating disorder, be in recovery, and then have the eating disorder relapse later in life. Eating disorders are, people are especially vulnerable for eating disorder symptoms at major life changes. So thinking about going to high school, to college, into retirement. So these sorts of major life changes can be stages of vulnerability for a relapse of an eating disorder. You know, one thing that just comes to my mind is the fact that, you know, all of the media at this point in time is so geared towards thinness. How does that play into all of these eating disorders? Is it something that's inherent and it's precipitated by social media or is it like a cause effect situation? So eating disorders are really complex mental illness. Um, they have biological components, genetic components, and also environmental components. We know that when people engage in malnutritive diet patterns, so if people diet and they have a vulnerability for an eating disorder, it can actually be the thing that triggers them to go into the mental illness of eating disorders. So there is a component of society that is impactful on the development of eating disorders in terms of sort of the societal pressure to diet and for thinness. The other way that society contributes to the development and progression of eating disorders is that oftentimes thinness is really celebrated in our society. So people that may be very ill with an eating disorder may not be able to seek out help or may not want to get help because they're getting a lot of positive reinforcement from society about their body size or shape. So, you know, it's a really, really difficult thing to try to talk about weight and weight gain with people in a society that celebrates thinness. Yeah, I think that certainly precipitates the whole issue of, you know, these eating disorders, which are psychiatric disorders that need help. How do you treat these? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, as I mentioned before, so first, early and often is, is best. So as soon as, as you notice something, getting in to see your physician, your pediatrician, your psychiatrist, your therapist, dietitian, that's very, very important. You know, the treatment for eating disorders, really the best treatment is, is multidisciplinary. So talking about addressing the physical concerns, including malnutrition, which often requires an eating disorder informed dietitian, therapist to address both the individual components of the eating disorder, as well as the way that eating disorder impacts the family, you know, because a lot of people who suffer with eating disorders are young and are adolescents still in families. It's very, very important to have support for the parents as well as they go through treatment. And then finally addressing the psychiatric illness. So if there's current depression or anxiety or OCD, making sure that you're seeing a psychiatrist or someone that can help to manage that as well. So I think that, you know, when you're seeking out treatment for an eating disorder and, you know, you're looking around for local resources, you really want to make sure that you're finding people that know about how to treat eating disorders. And if you are not able to find those resources locally, then it may be necessary to seek out specialty clinics. For instance, like the one I work at in Denver, we have people that come from around the world to get treatment for eating disorders here because treatment for eating disorders can actually be hard to find. And that goes back to my wish to continue to provide more education for people so that people can get treatment at home. 
No, yeah, that's very important because honestly, before I decided to do this episode, I did not even know that there was a, a separate certified eating disorder specialist or there was a separate training for this. So, you know, this is very exciting and uh, very important and very close to my heart because I think a lot of times these eating disorders are just shrugged under carpet and they're not recognized. And some of them, especially bulimia as one of the eating disorders is kind of related to obesity. And I was just kind of wanting to come to that question that how are they related in terms of uh, you know bulimia and obesity i know anorexia people are very lean very thin but that's not the case with bulimia so you know actually people of any size can have any eating disorder so this is actually a really common misperception and i think a really important thing to remind people of is that even people in larger bodies can have a restrictive eating disorder can have anorexia or bulimia. And so I think that, you know, typically we associate malnutrition with people who are in smaller bodies or who are underweight, but we definitely see a lot of people in larger bodies who have malnutrition who may or may not be engaging in purging behaviors. And also, you know, bulimia nervosa is such a catastrophic mental illness. And it is so challenging for people to get help and to be able to get into recovery because of just how devastating it is from a physical perspective and from a psychological perspective. And for people that are in larger bodies, it can be really, really hard to seek out treatment for an eating disorder because one, they may not be believed that they have an eating disorder because they're not underweight or they don't present as malnourished. And so it's very important for us as providers to remember that malnutrition does not necessarily look a certain way. And then second, to get back to sort of that societal piece, it can be really hard to seek out treatment for an eating disorder when you're not happy with how your body is. When you want your body to be different, it can be hard to seek out treatment that's going to ask you to eat regularly and interrupt these behaviors that you're trying to engage in to decrease your body size. Yeah, that is very important. I mean, honestly, I did not know about this. I guess now that I look at it, it kind of seems that the leanness that comes afterwards is kind of the manifestation of the disease progressing, not necessarily the first inciting event to kind of diagnose it. So definitely they should be diagnosed early where before you reach that phase of, you know, the leanness or whatever with anorexia, especially. So, you know, I would just want to point out to the listeners that these are very important diseases and they should be recognized early. So I just want you to kind of help us understand what are some of the early warning signs that people can look for so that they can seek help early? Absolutely. So, you know, oftentimes people who struggle with eating disorders come from a sort of place of having a lot of pressure on themselves to look a certain way, to do very well at things. Oftentimes people who have eating disorders also struggle with diseases of like perfectionism and a lot of anxiety. So, you know, I think that not that every person who has anxiety has an eating disorder, but certainly if someone has anxiety and has very high expectations for themselves, and then also starts to try to diet and change how they look or expresses a lot of dissatisfaction with how they look, these are things that I would be really concerned about. You know, I think it speaks to why it's so important to go in for that annual physical and well child check and make sure that you're getting really regular growth data on your child, on your adolescent to make sure that they're continuing to meet their milestones. You know, the other thing that we often see, especially in young men with eating disorders is orthorexia. So that sort of like clean eating, healthy eating, building muscle. And so it's not always a drive for thinness, but it can be a drive for quote unquote health that has actually become sort of self-defeating. Oftentimes people 
people with eating disorders will, like I said, start to withdraw from things that are important to them. So they may withdraw from school or pull themselves out of activities or not be hanging out with friends in service of going to the gym or something like that. So these are sorts of things that parents can watch out for, that loved ones can watch out for and start to have those conversations. You know, eating disorders have a strong genetic component. So if there's a family history of disordered eating, that's also something to keep an eye on and just be really aware that even if a parent is in recovery from an eating disorder, there can be genetic components that predispose someone to having vulnerability for eating disorders. Yeah, and that's so important to know. So how is bulimia management of bulimia or or anorexia for that matter? How is that difficult or how do you co-manage that with the, the management of obesity? Yeah. So this is very complicated. And I will say that at times the practice of obesity medicine and the practice of eating disorder medicine can be very, very much at odds. And being board certified in both and having the privilege of taking people, taking care of people who struggle with wanting to be in a smaller body or with diseases of obesity and eating disorders, it's a delicate balance. So the number one thing that underlies an eating disorder is malnutrition. And so what we need to do for people with eating disorders, the first intervention is to get nutritional stability. So that means regular eating patterns, food diversity, interrupting eating disordered behaviors. So oftentimes, just by doing that, we can create a lot of stability around the eating disorder, and then we can start to address whatever else is there. The other thing that is something that I talk with people about a lot, which can be very hard for them to hear, is that not everybody is going to be as thin as you want it to be. There is a tremendous amount of body diversity and health means something different for a lot of people. So, you know, I sit with people all day long who want to look a certain way, but are very, very unhealthy and their bodies and their lives are very compromised by their disorder. And so I have a lot of conversations about what does it mean for you to be healthy? Does that mean that you don't have to be in treatment, that you can spend time with your kids, that you can go on vacation and walk to the beach, these sorts of things that can bring your life a lot of meaning and joy. And in order to do that, you're going to have to be nourished. You're going to have to nourish your body. And so that might mean that your body is not the weight you want it to be but it can be strong and healthy and that we can help you make a life worth living. Yeah, I think it's very important to understand that how closely mental health and physical health are interlinked. I mean, you want certainly want to have a healthy physical body, but at the same time, you need to be mentally healthy and happy. And at the end of the day, at least in my opinion, whatever we do is for our happiness. So it's very important to understand, you know, whatever you're doing, what is the end goal that you're trying to achieve? Absolutely, absolutely. So how can people reach you, Dr. Wasner? So I work at an eating disorder treatment center in Denver. And so, you know, certainly if someone is worried about their loved one and worried about an eating disorder or worried for themselves to go to our website, eatingrecoverycenter.com, we have links to our intake team, links to self-assessments where they can sort of take a look if they might need treatment for an eating disorder. Unfortunately, right now, I don't see people outside of the eating disorder sphere, but I am always willing to, you know, provide advice or give some feedback through our intake department. You know, you mentioned that there are certain online forms. So can people actually 
fill out those forms and does somebody reach out to them? Or is this like a form that you fill out and then you kind of know that you may have this or you may not have that? So it is a form that you fill out and someone will reach out to you. So if you're thinking, do I need treatment? Like, I don't even know. Do I have an eating disorder? I don't know. The form, I believe, gives you some feedback, but also feeds into our intake department. And we have qualified professionals who have eating disorder treatment experience that can reach out to you and have a conversation about what you might need for treatment. And, you know, they try to be really discerning about sort of not everybody needs all of everything, but maybe you need some local resources. Maybe you need some advice about what to even where to begin to look. So our intake department is really fantastic in being able to sort of reach out to people and give you some feedback. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to ask you. So if somebody is not in Denver and if they reach out to you or they fill out the form, is your intake department able to help them kind of find some local resources in terms of getting help for this? They are. The other thing is, so Eating Recovery Center is a multi-state organization. So we actually have treatment centers um, across the country. So there may be a treatment facility that's closer to you than Denver that you would be able to access and might be able to meet your needs. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm going to put the link to your website into my show notes so that you know if somebody needs help, they can certainly go from there and get the help that they need. This surely has been a very, very enlightening session for me. Thank you so much, Dr. Wasner, for joining me. Dear listener, I would love to hear from you. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com and let me know how I am doing. You can also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate your feedback so that I can provide you with greater value. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.